Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Let's say Putin succeeds and takes over all of Ukraine. Then we're looking at a new line in Europe that wasn't there before. These things start to get really scary really quickly when you talk about NATO defense obligations. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. The Biden administration could drop the hammer. Full blocking sanctions against major Russian state banks. Putin understands one thing. Put the sanctions down. Make it clear who's in charge. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The sanctions get deeper as Russia pushes further into Ukraine. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics on an historic day for all the wrong reasons as war breaks out in Europe. The story's developing very quickly, has been all day, and we're covering it from several different angles today. We'll have insights ahead from Congressman John Garamendi, Democrat from California, who serves on the House Armed Services Committee. We'll talk about the impact on energy prices with Neil Chatterjee, former chair of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. And we'll talk military strategy with retired Air Force General David Deptula. Our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano, along with Lester Munson from BGR Group, former staff director on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. We have some of the smartest minds we could assemble for you tonight. It has been a remarkable 24 hours as Vladimir Putin sends the Russian military into Ukraine from the north, from the east, and from the south. Sound from Ukraine hours ago, a barrage of missile attacks, ground attack helicopters aimed at Ukraine's air force setting the stage for a ground invasion. Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed his nation last evening. He says Putin started a war with Ukraine, and now he wants to destroy my country. Hours later, President Biden addressed the nation from the White House. He spoke from the East Room with news of additional sanctions. We will limit Russia's ability to do business in dollars, euros, pounds, and yen to be part of the global economy will limit their ability to do that. We're going to stunt the ability of to finance and grow Rus- the, the Russian military. We're going to impose major and we're going to impair their ability to compete in high-tech 21st century economy. We've already seen the impact of our actions on Russia's currency and the ruble, which early today hit its weakest level ever. Four more major banks targeted in this latest round High-tech imports cut off. No more computer chips for Moscow. 
But when asked about kicking Russia out of the SWIFT financial network, which is an idea that's been circling for weeks and weeks, the president said not now. The sanctions that we have proposed on all their banks have of equal consequence, maybe more consequence than SWIFT, number one. Number two, uh, it is always an option, but right now that's not the position that the rest of uh, Europe wishes to take. He also indicated, though, that more is coming. And that is where we start with Congressman John Garamendi, Democrat from California, member of the Armed Services Committee. Congressman, welcome back. I never thought you and I would be talking about a war in Europe, but here we are on the 24th of February, 2022. It is our reality. Is President Biden going about sanctions one slice or tranche at a time here the right way? Is that the right approach or do you think we throw the whole kitchen sink now? Well, if we're going to throw the whole kitchen sink, we have to have the entire team ready to go. If you're going to go fast, go alone. Hmm. If you're going to go far, you got to go with the team. And so that's where we are. The president said it very clearly about SWIFT. Uh, the rest of the um, some of our European uh, allies are not ready to do that. I think they will uh, before too long. And it doesn't all have to be done at once, because ultimately the point the point of all of this uh, is that it goes to the Russian economy. Yep. And none of these sanctions are going to stop with the current airstrikes uh, that are going on in uh, Ukraine right now. But over time, they're going to bring the people out on the street. And that's where the real jeopardy that uh, exists for Putin. It's the street. And already the street is in the, is in the square. You mean his own so, street uh, in Russia. We saw massive exactly. protests today, Congressman. Exactly. And that's, that's, where, that's, where the real, that's where Putin's risk is. It's not, uh, there's certainly a big risk. The uh, Ukrainian army is going to uh, strike back. There are going to be a lot of uh, Russian casualties. Uh, it's certainly going to be a lot of uh, Ukrainian casualties. Yeah. But the risk that Putin has as a dictator, it's the street. And the street is, the people are on the street. And there are going to be more of them, particularly <laughs> when the uh, sanctions begin to bite into the economy. Well, that's uh, the, the president indicated, and I think he was he was alluding to that, Congressman, today, that it would almost be a, a, a slow drip to slowly show the Russian people what we were doing so they could feel each layer and not think that it was something else or be deterred by some sort of propaganda. Is that what this is about? This is more about reaction from the people, not trying to stop Vladimir Putin in his tracks because suddenly he has no money. Well, in fact, he does have a significant bank account right now, but those bank accounts are being uh, shut down. And, and therein, it's, it, if you're looking at sanctions, it's the long-term economic impact. And these sanctions not only go to the economy, yep. they also go to the military. Uh, those tanks can't run forever. Uh, those airplanes won't fly forever. Uh, they're going to need to be repaired. They're going to need parts and pieces. I think uh, you just said a few moments ago, p- computer chips. That's right. Things that are critical are not made in Russia. You got a, He's got a supply chain program, a problem of great significance. So we need to understand what the, the way in which sanctions really work. Uh, and as I say, if you're going to go fast, fine. Uh, right. Go along. But we're going to do this together, and we've got to be together if they're going to have any success at all. Well, speaking of the team, uh, Congressman, I I understand that you just came back from Europe. Uh, Where were you, and what did you learn? Uh, The NATO has many different pieces, but NATO is really controlled by the parliaments of the countries, of the 30 countries. And so every six months, or more often as necessary, 
uh, the NATO Parliamentary Assembly gets together. And these are uh, members of the 30 nations parliaments. Uh, we got together in Brussels on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and uh, ended yesterday, Wednesday. Uh, it was a very important meeting and really quite different. I've been to these uh, on and off over the last several years. Usually they just sit there and fight. Greece gets in a fight with Turkey uh, and go round and round. You go nowhere. But none of that happened. What happened here it was solidarity. All of the uh, parliamentary, uh, parliamentary members were there, uh, and they all said the same thing. We have got to work together. Mm-hmm. We need to bolster our uh, defensive posture, particularly in Eastern Europe. Uh, the Baltic states were uh, crying out for more um, equipment, more um, NATO presence, and it was provided. So that's the change that's occurring, is that Putin, in his attack on Ukraine, has unified NATO. Yeah. And he's also unified the European Union, which, to my surprise, <laughs> came out Tuesday with its own set of sanctions, actually ahead of what the uh, president uh, talked about today. Now, the European Union can't agree on the price of milk, let alone sanctions, but they did. They did agree on sanctions. We have seen some so, things that we never expected we would see this week, Congressman. And I'm just, I wonder what your, your worries are about the thousands of American troops who are across the border in countries like Poland. They are either going to be managing a massive humanitarian crisis or may, in fact, find themselves in harm's way. I know that we're not aiming to do that. But that border uh, may not be a very friendly place in the next couple of days, and we have committed to defend our NATO partners. How dangerous is the, the, the Polish border right now for American troops? Well, that's a question really for Putin. Do you really want to go after 30 NATO countries, including the United States? Is that what you really want to do? Do you want to attack any of those NATO countries? He's threatened to do that. In fact, one of his demands was that NATO get out of Eastern Europe, get out of the Baltics, get out of Poland, Ukraine, um, Romania, and Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. It's what he wanted, but he ain't going to get that. What he's going to get instead is a very determined 30-nation coalition called NATO in the Russian up on the Russian border. Sure. So he steps across that border. He's got himself a war like he you none of us want to imagine that. God that's forbid. why that is, that's why those border countries and the presence of the NATO troops there is that that is he will not go that way. If he does, well, he won't. He won't want, because that means that the entire weight of NATO will come down on him. Listen to what Vladimir Putin uh, said last night. Uh, in what was apparently a recorded address. Whoever tries to interfere with us, and even more so to create threats for our country, our people should know that Russia's response will be immediate and will lead you to such consequences that you have never experienced in your history. It was asked today in the White House briefing, uh, where the, the speech from the president, he did take some questions, Congressman, if that meant a nuclear threat. Here's how the president got to Is it. Is he threatening a nuclear strike? I have no idea what he's threatening. I know what he has done, number one. And number two, no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. It has to show, this is going to take time, and we have to show resolve. Congressman, do you agree? Is, is this possibly a nuclear threat, or is it impossible to know what Vladimir Putin is planning? We have known for more than a decade now that Russia has threatened to use nuclear weapons to stop an invasion 
into Russia. That's true. In fact, they did exactly the same thing during the Cold War to say we will stop a Russian invasion of Western Europe. Yeah. This is those sit out there as the ultimate deterrent. I'd you take a look at this very, very carefully because this is the most serious of all issues. Uh, and that's why we do not want to get into a situation where Russia and the United, excuse me, Russia and NATO mm-hmm. get into a conflict, an armed conflict. Therefore, we are making it very, very clear that Russia is not going to step into any NATO country. They're not going to invade any NATO country. That would then set off a series of events that, that would we be extraordinarily. Yeah, it could have ended a nuclear war. God forbid. Uh, Congressman John Garamendi, thanks for the insights, Congressman. The Armed Services Committee, Democrat from California, straight to you on Sound On. We'll assemble the panel next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Today, Russia started an invasion in Ukraine. Putin started a war with Ukraine, with the democratic world. He wants to destroy my country and our state, everything that we have built, everything we live for. This is a deliberate, cold-blooded, and long-planned invasion. Despite its litany of lies, denials, and disinformation, The Kremlin's intentions are clear for the world to see. President Putin of Russia has unleashed war in our European continent. Our mission is clear. We do not expect anyone to fight for us, but we expect all the help and all the response the West can send to us. Make no mistake, it's a war against Ukraine. 
Voices of condemnation from around the world as Russia hits Ukraine by air and land in what appears to be a campaign aimed at regime change, a complete takeover. Rather than a more limited incursion we were talking about in the Donbass snow, this seems much bigger. Let's assemble the panel for their view. We're joined by Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano and Lester Munson is with us today, principal at government relations firm BGR Group former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Jeannie, we were talking about the president earlier today before his address. You've now heard from him. You saw he, he's been through a lot the last couple of days. You saw his body language. You saw him joust with reporters. Did he say enough? You know, I, I think he said everything he could, and I think the representative said it well. Um, you know, we could go fast. He could, you know, put in all of these sanctions that have been discussed, but we would, in fact, have to do that alone, and that would defeat the purpose. So it's much better to do it smarter, and that means going with our allies. So some of the mm. things that people mm. wanted, like the removal from SWIFT, haven't happened yet, but they very well could. And I think a very, very important sign is the amount of Russians out on the street, at least as far as reports we're getting, who are taking exception to what yeah. Putin is doing. That is exactly what these uh, sanctions are designed to do. And they've just been, you know, we're just starting to see them go into place right now in the next few days. So that is a positive sign for the West. Lester, we heard from Congressman John Garamendi uh, a few moments ago who made the point that Jeannie is making, that this comes down to what happens in the street. And we already saw thousands of people uh, protesting uh, in St. Petersburg earlier today. I suspect there's more where that came from. Is that the way this is supposed to work instead of throwing everything that we have in terms of sanctions, as most Republicans were calling for weeks ago? You do the steady drip one layer at a time so the people can feel it. Well, uh, I have I have a lot of thoughts on this issue. Um, I'm not sure the protests on the street, as much as I admire the courage and the, just the sheer guts of the people who are doing that, are going to yeah. be dispositive here. I mean, we saw similar protests in Belarus, uh, over slightly different circumstances recently, those did not amount to any real change in policy. Arguably, things got worse after the protests happened. So I'm not sure that's the answer. In terms of staging out sanctions, I think that's the explanation for what's happening. But the reality is our European allies are not with us on a tough approach to Russia. That has to change. Uh, I suspect that if this invasion goes the way it seems it's going to go, which is, uh, um, you know, uh, I hate to say it, a win for Russia over Ukraine, then we are going to need to rethink our relationships in Western Europe. We are going to need to buttress them. We're going to need to think about NATO differently. Are you talking about SWIFT here, Lester? Because a lot of people were, were ecstatic yesterday when... Olaf Schultz, for instance, said there would be no certification for Nord Stream 2, therefore not operational, that in fact NATO was on the same page. Where's, where's the fallout? Yeah, and that's, and that's uh, the Nord Stream 2 thing is certainly good, but the, the sanctions so far that uh, we've seen, granted it's early, but the sanctions that we have seen so far from uh, the United States and our allies are not even at the level that they were for Iran when we were trying to contain their nuclear weapons program. So let's just, let's just be clear. So far, the sanctions, and I, and I believe me, I'm a person who thinks we need to have bipartisan support for the president now when we're 
in a in a time of crisis, and that is that is very true. At the same time, we need to see much more. Uh, if, if for sanctions to be effective at all, they're they're going to have to be much more severe. Jeannie, we heard from the president today as he was asked about SWIFT repeatedly and why that was uh, apparently off the table. Listen to the way he answered the question. Specifically, with the sanctions we've imposed exceed SWIFT. The sanctions we imposed exceed anything that's ever been done. The sanctions we imposed have generated two-thirds of the world joining us. They are profound sanctions. Let's have a conversation in another month or so to see if they're working. A month or so, Jeannie? Yeah, and I thought that that was a problematic, actually, response to those questions, because the questions asked by the reporters there were fair. Why didn't you go with Swift? Um, I think he should have answered the way the representative did, because we didn't have the allied support we needed. I understand why he doesn't want to publicize that. But um, he did, to be fair, say earlier that, you know, the Europeans just weren't ready for that right now. Uh, But we've done even more than Swift to suggest, though, that we're going to wait a month or so. Uh, to see if this is working. I thought we were checking back every hour. Well, I think the the question to be asked is, what does he mean by working? We are beyond the point of changing Putin's behavior ourselves via sanctions. These sanctions are about imposing cost on him and pain on the Russian people, quite frankly, yeah. and the oligarchs. They're not about changing his behavior. The yeah. route to changing his behavior are going to be those people on the ground, the oligarchs around him. Right, now, Jeannie. to Lester's point, that may we'll not work. We'll reassemble the panel in just a moment with Jeannie and Lester. This is Bloomberg. And an historic day in politics. This is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We'll have more from the panel a little bit later on as we turn now to the matter of energy. Something the president got to today, acknowledging that sanctions placed on Russia will mean higher energy prices, certainly for Europe, and yes, here as well in the U.S., which is why some alternate plans are being made. We've been coordinating with major oil producing and consuming countries toward our common interest to secure global energy supplies. We are actively working with countries around the world to elevate collective release from the strategic petroleum reserves of major energy consuming countries. And the United States will release additional barrels of oil as conditions warrant. So another SPR, maybe several more SPR releases are coming. We're joined to talk about all of it by Neil Chatterjee. This is a story that will continue to develop. Neil's a specialist, former commissioner and chair of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, now senior advisor at Hogan Levels. Neil, it's great to have you with us here. We saw triple-digit oil today. How high is it going to go? Look, I'm not going to make projections on how high it may go. Uh, What I found interesting about the president's remarks is that he's calling upon our international allies to increase production at a time where, particularly when it comes to natural gas, the U.S. is a global gas superpower. The problem is our domestic politics and policy are preventing us from even accessing the resources that our allies so desperately need today. And so I wish we weren't in this situation where we're speculating about how high prices may go when we've got it here. We've talked a lot on this program about the lack of investment uh, here that in in the policies that you're describing here, Neil. But here we are. Will releasing more oil oil from the SPR make a difference or is it just a proverbial drop in the barrel? Uh, Again, when it comes to oil, what we've seen in the past is that these releases have not made much of an impact. Uh, I'm skeptical of some of the other solutions that are being put out there, like suspending the gas tax, which would have (laughs) 
very little impact on the price yeah. at the pump, but potentially catastrophic impacts on our ability to invest in domestic infrastructure. What we need to do is remove obstacles to building out the infrastructure we that is required here domestically to get U.S. resources, U.S. gas, U.S. clean, U.S. LNG yeah. to bail out our allies. That's a long-term project, though, right? Would would just the prospect of that drilling be enough to impact market prices? It's frustrating that we've gotten to this point. During my tenure heading the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, we approved a number of applications for U.S. LNG export facilities. Uh, it is confounding to me that a number of these applications that are ready to go uh, are being sat on uh, at the Department of Energy today. And my former colleagues at FERC just last week, in unfathomable timing to me, took steps to make it even harder to site necessary infrastructure in the country. This is something we should have been working towards for years, uh, and it's very, very concerning that we've even gotten to this point. When you hear from our allies, like Italy, for instance, Mario Draghi was suggesting that we find something sustainable because they're worried about losing a third of their energy. Uh, Neil, when you see uh, the emir of, of Qatar in the Oval Office, when you hear about Joe Biden seeking alternate sources of gas, I realize that you're not a fan of the policies that you say brought us here. But in terms of finding solutions now, are there alternate sources we can count on? Or do they not exist? So they're there. They're costly. And they will subject our European allies to real concerns around not just affordability. I think you're going to see prices skyrocket, but also reliability. Increasingly, mm. natural gas is used not just you know for heating, but for, for electricity delivery. Yeah, right. And, and, and it's, it's a real issue. And it's, uh, it's a shame that we've gotten to this point. Um, and there aren't great answers because we found ourselves in a situation where our European allies are wholly dependent on Russian gas. And in the absence of alternatives, threats like Germany's uh, uh, posturing that they're going to not certificate Nord Stream 2, I just don't buy it. And I think Putin is acting in a highly intentional way because he knows he has leverage and his leverage comes from his energy dominance over yeah. our European allies. Well, as the late uh, John McCain said, it's a country masquerading, or a gas station masquerading as a country. Whether he was right, it sounds more true than ever. Our sanctions hit mainly the banks today, a couple of oligarchs. Do we need to go after Russia's energy sector, or does that ricochet back on the U.S.? I mean, that, therein lies the challenge. Uh, I mean, if Germany was really serious about hurting Putin and hurting Russia, Instead of posturing about not certificating Nord Stream 2, they'd shut down Nord Stream 1. But they can't. That's not a realistic option because of the dependence on Russian gas. And it's just a shame that the United States is not in a position to fill that void right now to help our allies because of decisions that we have made domestically. Neil Chatterjee, Senior Advisor, Hogan Lovells, the former Commissioner Chair of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Neil, I thank you for the insights and want to reassemble the panel for their take on this. We're going to talk in a moment, by the way, military strategy with retired Air Force General David Deptula. Let's hear first, though, from Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano and Lester Munson from BGR Group. 
Lester, I think you share a, a, a similar opinion to Neil here, that these policies are, in fact, uh, what brought us to this point. Is it as simple as that? Uh, well, the United States uh, has made a policy decision under the Biden administration uh, to foreclose certain options in the energy sector. And there are there are costs to those decisions. Mm -hmm. Now, we may decide that the benefits are better than the costs. I mean, frankly, I don't think so. But clearly, the administration does in terms of they climate able to our, in terms of climate. Exactly. They ought to be able to articulate why they have made a decision to prioritize the climate over uh, energy security in Europe, which leads to Russia invading Ukraine. If they can mm. successfully do that, good for them. That is a long term question. Uh, and I think it's something that our political system is designed to hash out. And I suspect will be a pretty clear result in November and then two years after that. But. Uh, in the meantime, you know, we should do what we can to support the president in a time of crisis. But this sure. longer term issue really should be addressed. It is a long term issue, Jeannie. Has the president painted himself into a corner here? I mean, there are not a lot of options right now when it comes to energy. There aren't a lot of options, and I think this is one of the things that is going to be a huge challenge for the Biden administration. I mean, you go right back to one of the first actions he took when he got into office was the Keystone Pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, and he has found himself caught to a certain extent, willingly or not, between the progressive left and the environmentalists and the more moderates. And it gets more serious as we are now enmeshed in, in this crisis involving the Ukraine and energy prices are threatening to go sky high. And your conversation with Neil is just very, very sobering because, you know, what he said essentially was that prices are going to skyrocket and there's yeah. very little solutions that are in the offing right now. We're certainly not going to address the political challenges he's talking about, unfortunately. Well, so how do you manage both, Jeannie? If you support the Biden administration's policies and the Democratic Party's policies of transitioning to renewable energy, you want to see people in EVs, you want to see windmills, you want to see solar, all of these things come together to lower our reliance on oil. But there's also a national security implication. Does the Energy Department need to be handling this in tandem? They do. And that's something that we have never as a nation, I mean, forget about the Biden administration or Democrats, wrapped our heads around as a nation politically, the need to balance those competing claims. I mean, you can't go to one side or the other. You have to balance those. We, you know, it is an ex existential crisis in terms of what we are facing with climate and the environment. It's a serious problem. And yet we also have to balance the national security on the other hand. And that's something that Joe Biden is well situated to start to do. But it's mm -hmm. not going to be in the short term. It's certainly not going to be done in the in time right now as as these prices go higher. Lester, before we talk to the general, is it wise to do another SPR release or is it a waste of oil, frankly? Uh, I personally think it's a waste of oil. Uh, we should save it for, you know, something that's a that's a real crisis. This is something I think we can manage uh, on a more day to day basis. All right, Lester and Jeannie will be back with us in a moment as we turn now to the general and a conversation about strategy with what we've seen in the skies, specifically over Ukraine over the past 24 hours. We are joined here by an expert. With the headline on the terminal, Russia hits Ukraine by air and land in a bid to grab quick victory. We saw missile attacks. We saw attack helicopters. We also saw fighter jets in the skies over Ukraine today. Air superiority, or is it air supremacy? This is the conversation 
that we want to have with retired General David Deptula, retired lieutenant general in the Air Force, dean of the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies. General, it's great to have you back. I wonder your thought on this. There's only so much you can do by air. Are we already getting to the end of the air component here uh, with Russia before we see more troops on the ground? What's happening as we speak? Well, uh, first, thanks for having me on. Second, no, you haven't seen the end of air. Um, air will participate on both sides throughout the entire operation. Mm-hmm. Um, what you saw is as you introduced to your audience, uh, uh, over 100 missile launches were uh, uh, accomplished yesterday, as well as uh, air attacks that involved about 75 Russian fixed wing aircraft uh, that involved uh, bombers. The targets. Um, were airfields, airports, command and control, and leadership targets. And these will continue to be part of the targeting scheme of the Russians as this operation continues. But depending upon what Putin's and his uh, military's objectives are, which is still not completely clear, um, you'll continue to see air operations in conjunction with ground operations through the end of the military operation. What kind of an air force does Ukraine have? Will there be any left by the time Putin's done? Um, Again, that depends on the effectiveness of the Russian campaign. Um, uh, They have attempted to target Ukrainian aircraft on the ground. Uh, You know, it's pretty early at this time to do an assessment First assessments or first reports are always wrong. Uh, You have to wait for the actual results to come in before you do an analysis. Uh, But the Ukrainians will fight. They'll fight hard. But, you know, facing the array of forces that the Russians have, they're at a significant disadvantage. Are they flying MiGs or or U.S.-made jets? Yeah, no, they're flying uh, Russian-made jets, uh, principally MiG-29s. Uh, against uh, some of the Russians' more advanced aircraft. As a matter of fact, um, you know, there there was until, I mean, there there was a major uh, Soviet aircraft production plant uh, in Ukraine. Hmm. So they're operating Russian aircraft. I wonder, uh, General, I know that that we're not putting troops on the ground. Uh, God forbid this is something the president has been very consistent about unless something we can't imagine uh, happening transpires. Is there anything we can do by air, though, that would not be considered an act of war, whether it's providing surveillance or, or, or something I'm not thinking of? Well, no, you just mentioned something. The uh, United States, through its uh, very robust intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance architecture, uh, using a variety of different kinds of aircraft as well as spacecraft, yeah. uh, can collect information that's of critical importance to the Ukrainians and share them, uh, share that information with them. The Global Hawk, which I think your audience is familiar with, but if they're not, it's a remotely piloted aircraft that flies at high altitude. Mm-hmm. The Rivet Joint RC-135 mm-hmm. collects co- communications and uh, electronic intelligence, uh, J-STARS. There are a variety of different aircraft that are collecting information and, and they're not in danger the in that airspace, General? The Russians won't not, shoot down one of our AWACS? Well, they don't have to be directly in the combat airspace to, gotcha. in order to collect information that's useful on Russian positions and movements and share that with the Ukrainians. 
We're lucky to and be joined course, by General David Deptula. General, how about uh, anti-aircraft weaponry that Ukraine has been begging for? I know that we've given them uh, Javelin missiles and so forth. Do they need more? Um, yeah, they can use whatever that they can accept. Um, uh, they are looking particularly for Stinger missiles, which engage aircraft that are close to the ground. Um, they do have a series of capable Russian uh, surface-to-air missile systems, but part of the problem, and I don't want to get too complex here, but is mm-hmm. in the what we call the kill chain, the identification, command and control, and then engagement of those weapon systems. The kill chain? This is why you have a general on at times like these. Uh, what happens next, general? Not so much in the air, but on the ground. Are we going to see a, a massive influx of troops in Ukraine? Well, I, it once again, uh, it depends upon what the Russians' uh, uh, military objectives are. I, the U.S. officials um, that I've spoken with uh, today believe that the Russians have every intention of decapitating the government of Ukraine and installing their own governance. So that kind of explains some of the early moves toward uh, Kiev. Uh, additionally, there are other escalation options that include an effort perhaps to capture the remainder of Donbass. And Putin will most likely attack in ways uh, to undermine the Ukrainian leadership. So we still have to wait and see how things unfold. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a variety of options here, uh, and it's it's very difficult at this point in time uh, to predict what the Russians are going to do. General, lastly, you know how dangerous these scenarios can become, how dangerous these border regions are with thousands of American troops in countries like Poland. I've been asking everyone with some area of expertise on this, how concerned you are about the danger, the unpredictability, not necessarily ordered uh, by Vladimir Putin, but it doesn't take a lot to go wrong for the United States military to get involved here. What is it that keeps you up at night? Um, I'm less concerned about a miscalculation with uh, U.S. forces that are in uh, NATO countries than I am with a strategic perspective. What's at play here is a longer-term strategic impact, and that's at the capacity and capability of the United States to deter major regional conflict has eroded over the last 30 years. And that's part of the reason why Putin took action that he did, because he sensed weakness on the part of the United States, and he's taken advantage of that. So this ought to be a wake-up call that the United States needs to rebuild its military to the point where we actually have a conventional deterrent effect. We're at half the strength we were during Desert Storm, and we declined from the ability to fight two major regional conflicts to less than one today. So the bottom line here is that today's Russian aggression is a direct result in the decline of the U.S. military posture, and we need to reverse that. Retired Air Force General David Deptula, Dean of the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies. General, thank you for your insights today on Sound On. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large-sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk, 
from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's reassemble the panel. Get their take on that. Bloomberg Politics contributor G.D. Shanzano Lester Munson is with us from BGR Group, formerly staff director, Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Jeannie, you've been listening to some serious criticism over the course of this hour, in, in, at least in the case of some of our guests, against the Biden administration's policies and even policies prior to the Biden administration uh, in the case that we were just hearing from General Deptula that have brought us to this point. Is the criticism fair? The criticism is fair, and I think one of the things that's really just struck me listening to the general following your discussion with Neil was how much of this has to do with our own internal politics having pretty much ground to a halt. I mean, the last thing the general said was, you know, we need to invest in the military. You can't do that unless you can pass a budget, and we've seen where we've been at with just that issue, let alone the issue of energy that you were talking with Neil about. So over and over again, we hear the challenge of the American system not fun- functioning the way it should be at home, and that is having serious ramifications on our security. But Lester, we spent more in the National Defense Authorization Act, I believe, than ever uh, just a couple of months ago. What more do we need? Uh, in ter- in uh, uh, Forgive me for not knowing the right economic term. The number may be high, but yeah. compared to where we were in the past after inflation, we're not where we need to be. Uh, General Deptula is 100% correct. There's an opportunity, I think, and, and by the way, this is not just Joe Biden's fault. This is also the fault of the Trump administration. So let's be clear. Mm-hmm. It's a bipartisan issue. We need to reinvest in the military. There is potentially a vehicle out there. You can reassemble Build Back Better with increased defense spending, uh, which clearly we need with some of the domestic priorities of the Democrats, maybe add in some from the Republicans and find a compromise on a way forward. That seems like an obvious way to go. I hope leaders in Congress can figure it out. Well, are any leaders in Congress telling the right story on this, Lester? Who's who's the lawmaker who's calling for this? Well, it, it's a great question. There needs to be a, a Senator Vandenberg to, uh, you know, Joe Biden's Harry Truman here. We're in a crisis. We need to see a bipartisan coalition from the executive branch to the legislative branch. That means probably a Republican senator to stand up and say, I'm with the president. Here's what I'm going to do. That's probably Mitch McConnell. 
Uh, I think he's got the, the sensibility to be able to do something like that. They are, in fact, friends. I would look to him first, but it could it could be someone else. But I think we, yeah. we really need to see that uh, demonstration of unity. One of the uh, the more bizarre and, well, I guess dystopian headlines that we heard today coming out of this invasion, Russians from the north into Ukraine. <laughs> So the bring it back. may be escalating. It's an atomic fire and the Soviets can't contain it. Thousands may already have died or been seriously contaminated. That's Ted Koppel. Back in 1986, Russian forces today seized Chernobyl, Genie. Not just the city, but the plant. And as I read, they don't know if the current condition of the power plant has changed, if it remains safe. And I guess I'm left asking, does Vladimir Putin care at all about... His own military sending hundreds of troops into Chernobyl today, Jeannie. Does that tell us all we need to know? It does, and I think we also have to remember that the thinking is is that the reason they're going in is because it allows them to enter Kiev. And, you know, we That's just right. heard the general say that that is what they want to do. I think the word he used was decapitate the the Ukrainian government, get mm-hmm. into Kiev. So this would be a way there. And, you know, I was struck, speaking of Vladimir Putin and, and whether he cares about his troops, by what Macron said in terms of how he found uh Putin when he spoke to him. I think the quote was he was not the same as he had seen him in 2019, that he found him rigid and isolated. That is a scary proposition for somebody with nuclear capacity, and that's what we're facing today. Chernobyl's, I believe, 65 miles away from Kiev, Lester. We talked about this yesterday, uh, whether, whether he has all of his marbles with him, and what exactly is driving Vladimir Putin if anyone other than his his own instinct here to try to rebuild the Soviet Union, well, he, he's going to go down in history as a as another Hitler or something close to that. Uh, it's a, this is a terrible mistake he's making. He's going to be totally isolated. Some of the diplomatic words from Beijing, notwithstanding, uh, the entire world is against him here. This is is a crazy decision, uh, despite his attempts at demonstrating some historical logic or Russian security interest, most of which is phantasmal. This is is a huge mistake he is making. And unfortunately, he's in a position where he can enforce that decision and make it happen. And that's what has to change. Thanks for your ideas and your insights today. Lester Munson, principal at the government relations firm BGR Group, former Senate Foreign Relations Committee staff director, and of course, Our friend and colleague, Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor. We're going to be going through a lot with Jeannie, and we'll hear again from Lester in the coming days here as we cover this story in real time, the first draft of history here on Bloomberg Sound On. February is, of course, also Black History Month. Every day this month, celebrating significant moments in U.S. black history, and we do that right now on this Thursday, February 24th. Here's Bloomberg's Renita Young. On this day in black history in 1864, Rebecca Lee Crumpler becomes the first black woman to receive an M.D. degree. To put that into perspective, in 1860, there were only 300 women out of 54,543 physicians in the United States. None of them were African-American. Crumpler first worked as a nurse in Charlestown, Massachusetts, before she was accepted into the New England Female Medical College. It was during a time when male physicians claimed women did not have the physical strength to practice medicine. In 1883, Crumpler released Book of Medical Discourses, which was one of the first medical books written by an African-American. 
That's Today in Black History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. And I'm Joe Matthew, Bloomberg Radio, Washington, on the fastest hour in politics. Thanks for spending some time with us as we deal with some tough subject matter here, and we'll do it again tomorrow. I'll meet you back here with the panel. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.